This program is brought to you by Abiding Above Ministries. The title of this message is Giving Thanks in Everything. Giving Thanks in Everything. If you will, if you have a copy of God's Word, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. And we're going to look at that text in a few moments. But leading up to us talking about what Paul meant here, I want us to also think about the founding of the nation that we live in, America, and the first Thanksgiving. And so I'm going to give a little background here as we go through and as we lead up to this passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving this Thursday. And just like you, I have fond memories of Thanksgiving as I grew up as a child. Because families would get together more, and families would sit around the table and visit one another and eat a good meal, and a lot of times they would talk about past Thanksgiving, and also talk about the fact that they were looking forward to Christmas, because they happened so close together. So like you, I have fond memories of being with my family and my church uh, during uh, this special holiday. Thanksgiving Day is our national holiday set apart. Now notice, it's a national holiday. It's an American holiday set apart for giving thanks to God. And I remind us all, this God that we're talking about is Jehovah God of the Bible. Uh, I'm not talking about an imaginary God uh, spelled with a little g. I'm talking about Jehovah God of what we know as the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Our founding fathers used God's Word to come here and then to set up what we have here now. So originally, Thanksgiving was a time of prayer and fasting, <laughs> but it later became a time of prayer and feasting. We make jokes about how much we eat in Thanksgiving. But it all started out as a time of prayer and fasting. Maybe we should go back to prayer and fasting. And so, the definition, what's the definition of just Thanksgiving? What's the definition of Thanksgiving? It is an expression of gratitude, especially to God. It's an acknowledgement of a favor a gift or a benefit. It's gratitude and an acknowledgement. So I want to encourage you here. As you see the staff this week, just give a word of acknowledgement for the gift of service here. Thank them for their service. Now, you think about God's favor. If we're going to be thankful and grateful for something He's done, think about God's favor in that God allowed each one of us to be part of His creation. You and I are unique because we're part of this creation on the face of this earth. And the blessing of being loved by Him and the fulfillment of loving God for who He is. Now think about God's gift in that God sent His Son Jesus to the cross because we all had a problem, three letters, sin, it's inherited. 
The reason we sin on the outside is because of what we have on the inside from the moment of our birth. Born dead in trespasses and sin. But God in His great love did something so that that sin would not continue to block us from having a relationship with Him. And so He sent His Son who became all of our sin, past, present, and future. He died on the cross for all sin of all mankind once and for all. That is God's great gift to us. And when we believe and receive Him, He comes into us, and then no matter where you are, you can walk, talk, listen to God everywhere you are 24-7. That's called fellowship with Him because He lives in the believer by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so, what's God's benefit to us? As children of God, we are benefited with having our names written in the Lamb's book of life. We have a place in heaven. Listen, we're not going to live forever, as I've already said. We're going to die one day. And we have a home in heaven. It's not a rescue mission. It is a home in heaven. You're going to be in heaven a lot longer than you are on earth. A little boy said that to his dad. They were coming home from a graveside service, and the little boy was looking out the window, being very quiet. And his father looked over and said, Son, what are you thinking about? He said, Dad, I'm thinking that it seems to me that we're going to be in heaven a lot longer than we're going to be on earth. I think what he actually said was this, Dad, I think that we're going to be dead a lot longer than we're alive, is what he said. And so that is true. And so when you think about God's benefit to us, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, and we have a place in heaven that Jesus said, He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And He's been gone 2,000 years. It took God a week to create the heavens and the earth. And Jesus has been working on heaven for more than 2,000 years. My mom and dad are already there. Many of your family, grandparents and uncles and aunts, they're already there. And we, listen, we are on our way. I would assume that I'll be dead within 20 years from right now. You say, oh, no, that's negative. No, it's positive. <laughs> I'm 58. The average lifespan of a man is in his 70s. So probably 78 or a little bit before. As we say down in Mississippi, I'll probably kick the bucket. Absent from the body. Present with the Lord. Amen. And so that is God's benefit to us. You see, God sees you and I now forever clothed in His righteousness. Because of the cross of Christ, we've been declared righteous. That means we've been justified, just as if I'd never sinned. God sees you and I right now already at His right hand in Christ Jesus. So we are now and forever clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we have the very presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Remember, I say it all the time. You're the glove. He's the hand. The Holy Spirit. We have much to be thankful for just with, just with that description. We've got a lot to be thankful for. Now I want you to think about the pilgrim. Now, what I'm going to basically give a snapshot of is true history. 
Not rewritten history, true history. The pilgrims left Plymouth, England on September the 6th, 1620. My friend, listen, that is a long time ago. A long time ago. Their destination was what they knew as the new world, but they didn't know much about it. They didn't have the communication available that we have today to know about all parts of the world. They were still in in progress finding out about the whole world. Although filled with uncertainty and peril, they were scared. If they got here, they could set up their own form of government and they could be free, both civil and religiously, they could have liberty. In other words, they wanted to sell away from the British Isles. They wanted to come to a new world. They wanted to start all over. They did not want a king and a queen telling them what to do. They wanted to have civil liberty. It's called self-governance. In other words, we want to govern ourselves through elected officials. And so they came here for that, but they also came here for religious liberty because religion in Europe had become very controlling by certain men, bishops, elders, pastors, who had gotten just a little bit too close to the king and the queen and other people in authority. And now the people felt controlled, not only in their civil life with their nation, the people felt controlled in the local church. They felt controlled by others. And they finally said, let's get together, let's go to a new world, let's start all over again, and let's have civil liberty, and let's have religious liberty. The United States of America, you can worship any religion you want to worship. You have that freedom. It was not so in those early days in Europe. And so, for over two months, the 102 passengers braved the harsh elements of a vast storm-tossed sea, and then finally, with firm purpose and a reliance on divine providence, one of them said, I see land. Can you imagine being on one of those old sailing vessels? The only way they got anywhere was by the wind in the hand of God. And they've been looking across this ocean for almost two months, or more than two months, not seeing land, that would be unnerving for me, not seeing land for even a few hours back in those days. And all of a sudden, they see land, and they get excited. So arriving in Massachusetts, I was there with some other men just a few months ago doing evangelism on the streets. Arriving in Massachusetts in late November, the pilgrims sought a suitable landing place. So on December the 11th, just before disembarking at Plymouth Rock, they signed the Mayflower Compact. That was America's first document of a civil government, and we are the first nation to introduce self-government. Everywhere else in the world, people basically were more like in slavery. 
They had people who told them everything to do and withheld what they could achieve and made it all about themselves. But in America, they said, no. You get to America, the way we're going to organize this, you're going to be able to pray, trust God, and you're going to be able to make of yourself anything that God lays on your heart to do. We're not going to hold you back because we're going to be elected officials by you, and you can also unelect us. So this is the way things started. And so what did they do? They had a prayer service right off the bat. Why? I would expect they were praying on that clipper ship across that ocean. They were praying unceasing. Lord, protect us as they were in those storms. And so now they had a prayer service. And the pilgrims began building hasty shelters. There they were. They were on a ship. Now they're on land, but there's nothing developed here. Nothing. When you drive through the United States of America, people are trying their best to get here, either legally or illegally. They're trying to get to America. We are seen as a miracle. When they see pictures of just our streets and our lampposts and the way our stoplights go on and off, they're just amazed. They see our bridges. They're amazed. And they're thinking, how did they do that in such a short history of a few hundred years when we've had thousands of years and we, it's not as developed here as it is there? Listen, some people call it the great experiment. Some people call it the great miracle. But I can tell you this, I do not believe and I know it could not have happened if it hadn't been for God wanting these people to come here for religious and civil liberty and self-governance. It could have never happened. The wind blew them here. And so, they built these shelters because the weather was hard in November on the East Coast. I mean, you know, like right now, it's cold there. It's not so cold here, but it's cold there. So, what they did was they were unprepared for the starvation and the sickness of a harsh New England winter. And so, nearly half... Of the 102 passengers, half of them died. Once they got here, they died of starvation and they died of the harsh elements that they found themselves in. And they got sick and the New England weather was really hard uh, and they were waiting for spring. But persevering in prayer and assisted by helpful Indians, they reaped a bountiful harvest the following summer. So what did they do? They started planting, tending, growing. You know what their motivation was? To live and not starve to death. That was their motivation. And I believe God and the work of the Holy Spirit, I believe God blessed everything they put their mind in their hands to. I believe God blessed it. He caused it to prosper. And so the grateful pilgrims, remember, they're grateful, they're thankful. They declared a three-day fast starting on December the 13th, 1621, to thank God and to celebrate with their Indian friends. While this was not the first Thanksgiving in America, Thanksgiving services were held in Virginia as early as 1607. But it was America's first Thanksgiving festival through these pilgrims because they were grateful we made it across the ocean. Half of us have died, but half of us are still here. Our crops are growing bountifully 
And they had a time of thanksgiving, fasting, and prayer. So we need to remember our joy, our prayers, and our thankfulness to God should not fluctuate with our circumstances and our feelings. Now, I don't know where you are right now in your feelings, but you may be fluctuating right now about your present circumstances and the things that you feel. Listen, just like those pilgrims, thank God you're in this rescue mission right now. Thank God if you choose, you can start all over with help right here, right now. Thank God. Now, your feelings may get you down, but go over the top of the feelings and just in prayer and thanksgiving and gratefulness, God, thank you that I'm safe. Thank you that I'm clothed. Thank you that I'm about to eat. Thank God and be grateful for what God has given you. You see, the pilgrims rejoiced to see land and mourned as they lost half of their people and watched them die that winter. But that did not stop them from trusting God. God brought us here. God is now causing our harvest to prosper. We're going to keep trusting Him, though I'm sure men were missing their children. Some of them had died. Moms were missing their husbands, wondering what's going to happen to us now. They were in turmoil, and they had no choice but to trust God. And you may be here right now, and you're saying, I'm at a point right now that I have no choice but to trust God. Listen, my friend, I love you, so listen. That is a good place to be in. A very, very good place to be in. We now live in what they could not see. We live in the America they came to. And they began with small shelters and planting seed in crops. And they had a vision of what it could be, but they would never ever live to see it because they would simply grow old and die. And now we're living in the middle of a great nation. And people are trying to figure out a way to get here. With all this in mind, look at what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Listen to this. Paul said this. Rejoice sometimes. Always. He said rejoice always. He said pray sometimes. No. He said pray without ceasing. He said in some things give thanks. He said in all things give thanks. So here's your question. Why should I do this? Because it is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So you say, well... I don't like my circumstances. If you knew what she said, if you knew what he did, if you knew what happened, you would understand. All right. I understand that. But think about these pilgrims. They wanted to get away from a harsh totalitarian government. They wanted to get away from a church that had lost their first love. And now not only the government was controlling the people, the Religious leaders were controlling the people, and they said, let's just start all over. They were discouraged. Then they got on a ship, came across the ocean. They were afraid through those storm-tossed seas. Then half the people died when they got there. They had to build shelters, had to plant crops. They were starting from absolute scratch. But you know what they chose to do? Instead of 
not rejoicing in everything, instead of just focusing on the circumstances, what did they do? They said, God brought us here. God's going to take care of us here. And so they rejoiced always. They prayed without ceasing. In everything they gave thanks, they fasted and prayed. Why? Because before they ever left the shore of Europe, they sensed by the Holy Spirit in them, it was the will of God for them to go. And look what's happened. We know it was the will of God, even though they had to have doubted. Because of the struggle they have to have wondered, have we made a mistake? But thank God, we're now standing in that little seed of what started in America. So the first thing I'd like to say is this. After that long introduction, Paul said, rejoice always. Rejoice here in this passage. It speaks of our spiritual joy. This joy is an eternal joy because it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Remember, God's Spirit comes into you at salvation. And the fruit of that Spirit in you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, self-control. So when he says rejoice here, you say, well, I can't rejoice. Look at my circumstances. If the Spirit of God is in you, and you're letting Him control you by denying yourself, that spiritual joy rises up inside of you, and you can say, I don't understand it, but I choose to rejoice, because the Bible says it's the will of God for me in Christ Jesus. So, think about our creature comforts. Our creature comforts, things being nice. And remember, I've been to Kenya 20-something times. I've been to Ethiopia twice. I've been to Nigeria once. I've been to South Africa. I've been to Puerto Rico twice. I've been in many places in this world. And listen, even the poorest person in the United States of America, compared to what I've seen in Ethiopia, is rich compared to what I've seen in Ethiopia. Rich. I've got some pictures in my mind that it'll never get out of my mind. And it makes me want to give more and more and more. Me and my family, we give. We give. And we'll continue to give. But sometimes creature comforts, they sometimes confuse people with genuine spiritual joy. Real joy is not dependent upon being comfortable. Sometimes we think, boy, if I could get a new car, I'm going to be joyful. You will until you put a 100,000 miles on it and it just begins to break down more. You can't say that I'm going to rejoice when everything's going well. Jesus talking about the abiding life. The fact that He lives in us by the Holy Spirit and we in Him. He had this to say in John chapter 15 verse 11. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain, notice, in you. And that your joy may be full. True joy. That we can rejoice always, even when things are tough, comes from the indwelling Holy Spirit, Christ in you. This had to be the joy that the pilgrims had. You say, well, how could they after what they had been through? There's only one way to explain it, my friend. These pilgrims were known as some of the godliest men and women that ever walked the face of the earth. They were special. 
What motivated them to come was the Word of God and the Holy Spirit in them. They are unique in the history of all of mankind. And so, speaking of this spiritual joy, Paul admitted there are hardships, but notice how many times he said it. Listen to 2 Corinthians 6.10. This same Paul said this, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, was not materially rich. He worked, received money to do missionary journeys. People gave him money to do missionary journeys. And then he was martyred for his faith. He didn't live a long life. He definitely didn't live a life of luxury. He walked most everywhere he went. Now you might be thinking, where is it? If we're to rejoice, where's the joy? You have it, my friend, but maybe you're not appropriating it by faith. Maybe you have a weak faith. This is a command when Paul says, rejoice always. That's not something that we think about doing. It's actually a command that we should do. A Christian's joy does not spring from his circumstances, but from the blessings that are his because he is in Christ. And by the Holy Spirit, Christ is in him. My friend, listen, that's better than alcohol that wears off. That's better than some kind of a drug that wears off. It's Christ in you, in you in Christ. That is eternal. Everything here, temporary. All those pilgrims, they eventually died. And you, my friend, are eventually going to pass from this life. The Christian who remains in sadness and depression really breaks a commandment in some area of his life. It is because he's mistrusting God. He's mistrusting the fact that God is omnipotent. God is omnipresent. He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. We are to rejoice in God who is eternal and who is not subject to the temporal and who lives inside of us. We need to think this way. God already knows everything. And what I can't understand, what I can't see, I choose to keep moving forward knowing that eventually I will see if I just walk by faith. That's what the pilgrims did. They called it the new world. They didn't know hardly anything about it. They walked by faith. They sailed by faith. They couldn't see what we see now. But God put it on their heart to come here. And listen, you think about your life right now, you're thinking, I don't understand this. Listen, walk by faith, and the reason God created you on this earth will emerge, and you'll begin to see, this is the reason I'm here. If you'll simply choose to walk by faith. Listen to what Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. And I'm encouraging you this Thanksgiving, be grateful, be thankful. Listen, don't lose heart. Rejoice in everything. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man, that's our bodies here on this earth in this moment called time, our bodies are passing away, if you hadn't noticed. 
He says, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man, that's the eternal part of us, our spirit and our soul, that lives forever in one of two places. When you die, are you going to heaven? Or are you going to be separated from God for eternity? You need to get that decision right. He says, yet the inward man, that's the eternal part of us, is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, that's talking about this moment called time, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, talking about in time, it's just a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, talking about what we see in time, but at the things which are not seen, the eternal realm, where we'll spend the rest of our life. We'll be there a lot longer than here. For the things which are seen are temporary. Time is temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. We're to walk by childlike faith and what we can't see and trust in the one who created it all until he calls us home plus the end. Amen? That's how we must think. We can rejoice in our circumstances just like these pilgrims did. God is a sovereign ruler who will accomplish his purposes. His purposes are always just. So what did Paul say? Number one, rejoice always. Number two, pray without ceasing. See, we don't have to be kneeling to pray. We don't have to have our heads bowed to pray. We don't have to have our eyes closed to pray. Pray without ceasing means this, as you're living life 24-7, you're walking in an attitude of prayer, moment by moment, day by day, unbroken communion. That's what that is. The way to rejoice always is to pray without ceasing. We are to walk in an attitude of prayer, acknowledging I'm dependent on you, God, realizing I know you're in me, Christ. Determining in our will, I'm going to abide in you. I know you're real. I know you live in me. I'm going to walk by faith. I'm trusting you. Listen to what Paul said to the church in Rome. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he said, Do not be conformed to this world. Some of you, I love you so listen, and I'm also guilty of this, have been conformed to this world system in this moment called time. And it's controlling you The world system, ruled by Satan, is controlling you. Paul said, don't do it. He says, do not be conformed to this world. He said, well, how do I stop this? This is it. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So he said, how does this work? As you allow the Holy Spirit to renew your mind, You will absolutely experience his spiritual joy and you will rejoice. Remember, serve God according to the way he's made you. Serve God with the gift that he's given you. Give all you know of you to all you know of God. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. He said, be anxious for nothing. Pay attention. Think eternally. Don't think just time and temporary. He says, be anxious for nothing. He said, but in everything, not some things, everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. You say, well, what happens if I do that? This is what he says. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
will guard your hearts. That is to set as an umpire over your hearts, to guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. You know what this is saying? That we're supposed to go ahead and give thanksgiving to God before He changes something for us. You know what that means? That means I'm grateful, I'm thankful, I'm trusting God, I'm trusting Him, though I can't see it all yet, I'm trusting Him that He's faithful. And I'm going to walk in an attitude of prayer. I'm going to rejoice always because of the Holy Spirit living in me. I'm going to continue to be thankful because God is orchestrating a plan that I can't see. And listen to this. Even if you've messed up God's plan for your life, God will take you right where you are. And God will take you to what He's always wanted for you. You can, if you will. And when you will to do God's will, you're empowered by the Holy Spirit in the doing of it. He doesn't leave you as an orphan. He lives in you. You say, i got to overcome alcohol. The Holy Spirit will help you overcome alcohol, but He will wait until you start overcoming it, and then He'll lift you. You have to use your will to do it. And so, he said, for us to pray without ceasing. See that this is God's will. Give thanks in God's will. Because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, who is our all in all. You know, I remember when I first started thinking this way. I first started having these thoughts. I was younger. And it came to me as I read the Bible lesson in a discipleship course. And in that discipleship course, it had a drawing that showed a large circle that represented Christ. It showed a picture of the believer in Christ. Then these words were under the picture. Listen to this. It showed a young man. He was walking down a path. There was a circle around him. And he was having this thought. God and what God provides for me is all that I need. My friend, listen, that is simple, but that is powerful. You see, anxiety makes a rich man poor. Contentment makes a poor man rich. God and what God provides for me is all that I need. Third and last thing is this. He said, in everything, give thanks. Listen to Acts chapter 17, verse 28. For in Him we live and move and have our being. Sometimes someone will call me. I'll answer the phone. I'll say, hello. They'll say, Chris, what are you doing? And I'll say this. I'm living and I'm moving and I'm being in Christ Jesus. What are you doing? I say that to a lot of my friends and they laugh. And sometimes they'll even stop me and say, I know you're living and moving and having your being in Christ Jesus. Amen. Other than that, what are you doing? I say, I'm walking to and fro across the earth. But listen, we're to rejoice always, is what Paul said. We're to pray without ceasing, unbroken communion. And in everything, we're to give thanks. That means when things are not going so well, we still give thanks. That's what the pilgrims did. 
or they would have given up. They would never would have sailed away from Europe. They never would have. So, when we look outside the circle of Christ, God and what God provides for me is all that I need, satisfaction. But when we begin to look outside of that, we become anxious. And when we stay anxious a long time, that's when we're tempted to drink alcohol. That's when we're tempted to take a drug. Because we're no longer seeing ourselves in Christ and controlled by Christ. When we simply enjoy what we have in Christ, our spiritual joy inside of us, the inner man, causes us to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and in everything, give thanks. Amen. You've been listening to Abiding Above Ministries with Chris Hodges. If you would like Chris to speak at your church or event, please go to our website, abidingabove.org. God bless you and make you a blessing.